welcome back to you and I for the Kenai. I'm back here with Coburn today, and today we have Shara Berg with us, who's the project coordinator at Henu Wellness Court, to tell us about Henu Community Wellness Court as a community resource. How's it going today, Shara? It's going good. Good? Mm-hmm. Good. I'm glad we could we could be here today. I'm really excited about talking about Henu Wellness Court today. Uh, it's a pretty unique court system and the way it works. So we'll actually let Shara talk about it, though. We'll kind of dive right into it. So what is Henu Community Wellness Court? Henu Community Wellness Court is a joint jurisdiction felony drug court here in Kenai, Alaska. And um, we're only one out of two in the whole U.S. that's a joint jurisdiction felony drug court. And what joint jurisdiction means is that we are tribal and state jurisdiction. So um, the state of Alaska court system and the Kenaitse Indian tribe got together and formed this court. Um, there's another felony drug court that's joint jurisdiction in Minnesota. And we've kind of, um, I know some of the people from our court traveled there when it was first getting started to kind of see how they did things, but we're only the second one in the U.S. They have other joint jurisdiction ones, but not for drug courts. Mm-hmm. So I say drug court, it's a wellness court t- it's considered a wellness court, but it's drug and, and DUI, anybody who's using substances, it's mm-hmm. for them, who have a felony charge that's open. So basically what happens is someone who has a drug and alcohol issue, they could have a one-time felony DUI. They're charged with a felony. They come to court. As long as they have not made a plea yet and they're still in the court process with an open charge, they can be considered for our court. Okay, okay. And there are several criteria they would have to mm-hmm. meet. And what are those criteria? They cannot um, have charges of a sex offense. Mm-hmm. They cannot be charged with dealing. They cannot be charged with assault. Okay. Um, are you really, we have other, that's that's the main criteria. It needs to be a felony. It can't be a, a misdemeanor. Mm-hmm. So things that fall under this would be like DUI, felony possession. Yes. Um, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a charge associated with substance use. Okay. It can also be a theft charge or any other felony charge as long as they have a history. It doesn't even have to be a history with a court of drug use. If it's mm-hmm. somebody who knows that they've had issues with drug and alcohol mm-hmm. use in the past, and I think our court kind of has a philosophy that a lot of times thefts and things like that are because people are looking for money to buy drugs Okay, yeah, that was kind of where I was going. I'm glad we clarified yes. that. Yes. So, um, so it's not necessarily someone with a actual charge of substance use or felony DUI or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's somebody who has a charge of something else. As long as it's a felony, we will look at them and, and consider them for our court. So how would they go about getting into your court if they hear this and are like, sure. this sounds like me? Um, And something before I answer that question, something I wanted to address is with people who have felony DUIs, if they apply to our court, and as long as they apply to our court, it's an easier path to get their driver's license back. That's taken into consideration whether or not they apply to a wellness court. Mm -hmm. So if they apply, even if they're rejected, they still have a path for the driver's license. It's still, okay, so if they just apply, even if they don't get accepted, it's going to be easier for them to get their driver's license? Yes, if they don't, then they may never get their driver's license back. Wow. So it's something that we really want to promote. Definitely, 
Yeah, no, I never knew that. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. critical. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to know. Because yeah. I mean, yeah. we think about these, I was actually having this conversation the other day, you know, because, like, the reason I wanted to kind of get into that is, like, the issues that we face as a community aren't siloed into, oh, this person's an offender of this crime or this person's this, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We put these labels on people and really, like, substance abuse and misuse really can drive a lot of that yeah you know, like well i really like the uh i was reading on the website one of the goals of the wellness court is to reduce recidivism i believe i'd yes. look that one up <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that's uh like you know committing a crime and then going through mm -hmm. the prison system and then going out and committing crime again mm -hmm. so have you guys seen uh improvement in that area or is that a measurable statistic or is that more of a goal it's something i'm sure it's kept track of at a bigger level within the city or state. As far as our program, I do keep track of our graduates, those who have graduated our program, to, to check if they have reoffended. And so far, none of our graduates, we've had six so far in the mm -hmm. past year, um, they have not reoffended. So right now we have 0% recidivism. Nice. I mean, as we get more graduates, that could change. But mm -hmm. right now, the people who have successfully completed our program have not reoffended. I mean, that really speaks to the effectiveness mm -hmm. of uh, a court that's an alternative to just jail. Mm -hmm. Sure, and these are people that kept coming back through the system. Right. Um, if you look at people who are coming up for arraignments, a lot of times you see the same names, mm -hmm. and um, we have taken some of those names off mm -hmm. the arraignment reports. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. That's incredible. So this isn't court order. This is specifically people seeking this out. So everyone who's gone through this program, it's been really voluntary. Yes. Like they've been really on board with it. It's a voluntary program, and we're still getting the word out because it's fairly a new court. We've only mm -hmm. been around since, I think, the beginning of 2017. I think the agreement was made in 2016, and then the court actually started in 2017. So it's about two years old, mm -hmm. and we promote it as much as we can, and defense attorneys are kind of realizing that we're out there and can talk to their clients about it, but we're still trying to get the word out. A lot of defendants don't know about it, and mm -hmm. so hopefully by doing this podcast, more people will know. Right, yeah, definitely. definitely. But they usually hear about it. They'll ask um, their defense attorney. Sometimes the defense attorneys know about it and think that it's good for their client. Sometimes right. I look through the arraignment reports, and if I see somebody that I feel might meet our criteria, mm -hmm. I will flag it and email the attorney. Sometimes the judge in the case kind of knows about it and will recommend it. So there's yeah. different avenues to getting to our court. No, super cool. I think the whole overall concept of rehabilitation versus like punitive measures is, I think it's growing. Just like we were talking about earlier um, before we started recording, like. People that typically go to jail, especially with substance misuse and abuse, first of all, they're forced to detox in an unsafe environment. And then second of all, they, a lot of the time they don't get the necessary help that they really need, which then, like, when you get out, think about being in jail or prison for, like, four, five, six years. You've been separated from society for a long time. Mm -hmm. Then you come back and you have nothing yeah. still. You, have no, you don't have really any new coping skills. You probably have new fight-or-flight responses and you don't really have anything that's been advantageous to you coming out. You have no new skills, which is what we're going to next. So, like, what is kind of part of the rehabilitation process? Do you guys partner with outside sources? Do you do, like, an internal uh, treatment program? It's mainly through the Denina Wellness Center, the Knights mm -hmm. Indian Tribe. So we try to get someone as close to when they're charged as possible so they're not sitting in jail and right. dealing with all of that. 
some of the applicants who come to us have been clean and sober for quite a while as well before mm -hmm. they were in jail. And all of our treatment is done through the Denina Wellness Center, including mental health treatment. Mm -hmm. So we have treatment groups, and then if they're assessed and they require mental health, we provide that as well. We do um, have community partners. Sometimes if they need residential, we will try to get them into a residential program. Mm -hmm. And then some of the other services that the tribe provides, the social services and things like that, they'll help us out in that respect as well. They also help us out with housing. So it's pretty inclusive mm -hmm. um, as far as just mainly with the tribe, but our participants are out and about in the community and we do sometimes use community resources. Right, to kind of help fill in sure. wherever might be needed, yeah. Sure. Oh, that's super cool. It blows my mind it's only one of two mm -hmm. in the entire U.S. And we're the only joint jurisdiction court in Alaska for anything. Really? For anything yeah. at all? Yeah. Wow. I think it's becoming more apparent that just telling people to stop isn't working, you know. Just, yeah, just having consequences is not going to prevent people from, from doing this. There's, you know, struggles inside that people are dealing with or, you know, different things that they're fighting with. But it sounds like um, instead of that, with this kind of recovery approach, you can actually work on fixing some of those problems or kind of reintegrate into society. And I think... Uh, with the success of this, it's probably going to be a more common thing. I mean, it, right. six people so far, and they're all doing well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, We have another graduate in November. The state of Alaska provides resources. The Kenaitse Indian tribe provides resources, and um, we're able to, to keep the court together. Um, the state of Alaska provides public defender. The DA is also a part of our team. We have a court team. My job is provided by the state of Alaska. We have a state judge, and then the tribe provides the probation officer, the um, probation officer supervisor, the treatment team, mental health clinician, mm -hmm. and a tribal court judge. That's super inclusive. Mm -hmm. They also That's... provide the UAs, and a lot of, like I said, they provide housing sometimes and um, different things like that. Mm -hmm. When we think about, like, the barriers that come with you know recidivism in the first place like you get out of jail like we said you don't really have mm -hmm. much you first of all you don't have any new coping skills and a lot of the time you don't have a place to go like housing is a big deal transportation sure. is a big deal even like these little things that seem so every day to the majority of the population like you know what i mean like if you get out of prison or jail or whatever then you're like okay now you need to go complete this you know this is part of your probation you need to go to your po's office and do uas you know, once a week for however many weeks, but you don't have a car and it's wintertime, it's frozen outside and you have to walk from probably in Alaska, a property somewhere outside of town, most likely. You have to find a way to get to your PO's office. So like helping with just transportation and housing, having a safe place to go, not really live it and not having to go back to the same exact environment that you were in before, resorting back to the same exact habits and just ways of life that you were already in that led to your incarceration in the first place is like just incredible mm -hmm. i mean so like any other resource in the community we struggle with housing and transportation mm -hmm. so um we were able to utilize an apartment building that the Kenaitse owned but now they're utilizing that for office space so not all of our participants can go there anymore they have another house that they're renting for some participants but some of our participants, when they get out, have to stay at a shelter. Mm -hmm. Some of them have to go back to where they were living before. So it's not perfect, mm -hmm. and but we try to make sure that they're in a safe place right. or that they have shelter at least. Mm -hmm. Transportation-wise, 
the tribe does provide some transportation for appointments. Mm -hmm. And then some of them are able to eventually get their licenses back while in the program and get cars because our program does focus on helping them get a job or education Mm -hmm. so that they can start saving money and budgeting for cars and their own housing outside of vouchers and things like that. Yeah, teaching a lot of life skills. Yes. So we have four phases. The first phase is trust, and that's usually they're getting out of jail or they've been in the community and they're coming into a program. That's about us trusting them, but it's also about them trusting us that we're going to work with them and be there for them. And it's all about being honest. We realize that people relapse. We realize that those things happen. We try to work with them as best we can. We understand that that happens, so they do report to the court and we do talk to them about if they've had a relapse and there are things that we kind of work with them on. We try to do therapeutic adjustments as Mm -hmm. far as we do sanctions, but we also do therapeutic adjustments where we try to up their treatment time. We try to get them more mental health counseling. Maybe they might have to do other things to kind of meet court requirements if they're struggling. We try to work with them as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And so the first phase is trust, and that's right. where we make sure their basic needs are met. Mm-hmm. Food, housing, clothing. Um, second phase is belonging. That's more about getting job, education, volunteering the community. Living well is the third phase, and that's where they continue working, getting their education, and they're also doing things to give back to the community. And then the last phase is restorative before they graduate, which is mm-hmm. where they're really, they've got a place in the community. They're really focused on their life sober, right? doing sober activities. And they have to have so many days of sobriety before they can move on to each phase. Okay, so is there like an actual number? For there the- is for each phase, and yeah. I don't remember all of the numbers for mm-hmm. each phase, but um, I know for some of them it's 45 days, mm-hmm. for some of them it's... I think 60 to 90 before they can move on to the next phase. And some people stay within their phase longer than the normal time frame would be, but that's because, you know, they're still working hard to meet those requirements. The whole time is 18 to 24 months for all four phases. It's a lot. That's good, though. No, it's like, that's what it takes, dude. Yeah, Yeah. and that's honestly, like, that's really cool, honestly, Mm -hmm. like, that the court's really like putting so much time and effort into people that probably haven't gotten that kind of attention, especially from a court system, Mm -hmm. that kind of attention from a court system their whole lives. You know what I mean? Like, or just really haven't ever been told like, no, this is going to take a while, but we're going to be, we're going to stick here with you through it. And they are told that. I mean, our judges tell them that, that we're here for you. We're here to help you. We want you to be your best self. And it's a casual court. The judges are not in robes. It's at the tribal courthouse. The participants come in however they want to, you know, jeans or whatever. And Mm -hmm. we're just there to kind of listen to see how their week was. And we kind of give them applause for when they've had a good Mm -hmm. week and they get some candy and stuff like that. So we have some incentives too. Yeah. That's super cool. It's like a whole... I mean, two years old, but obviously, like, even just in a more broad aspect, like a really new, like, inclusive approach to court in mm-hmm. general, or just, I'm trying to think of the right word. Or, it's you, very much wraparound services. Yeah, yeah, it's, and that's great. I mm-hmm. mean, that's what really what people with substance misuse need, you yeah. know what I mean? Because like, it's like you said, it's not just 
one thing or another, you know, like these things aren't just separated about, like they're all pretty intertwined. And so like this whole, this new holistic approach is, it's just blowing my mind right now. And it's we're really truly cool. a team, you know, mm -hmm. all of, all of these individuals get together um, from different sides of the courtroom and they work together and they talk together and they help support the participant in everything that they do. And so the DA's there every week, the judges are there every week, and it kind of gives a different face to what a defendant usually sees when they're in a courtroom. They see that they really care, they're here for me. Mm -hmm. And they, they do, they're there on that team because they really care about the substance abuse problem in our community, mm -hmm. and they wanna fix it, and they wanna be a part of that solution. Mm -hmm. It really seems to be breaking down that kind of us versus them the kind of rebelliousness mm -hmm. against all oh, the society is just screwing me over sort of thing. Right. But then yes. when you actually have someone in authority who's saying, hey, I'm rooting for you. I want mm -hmm. you to succeed as yes. well. That must be huge for them. Yes. Right. And giving yeah. them the tools and an option. You know what I mean? Because like, in a normal like punitive system, you know, it's like, oh, probation and go get help, you know? Mm -hmm. All right, see ya. Like, and now, you know, it's with head new community wellness court, it's, no, like, go get help. They're right here in this room. Like, let's get this figured out within the next two years and really set you up in a way that's actually going to be very beneficial for the rest of your life. You know, this is really a, gives you the tools to put all that kind of behind you and live just a more well-rounded life in general, a happier life. Yeah, when they're in our program, they're out in the community, they don't wear an ankle monitor. Mm -hmm. They don't need to be in jail unless, for some reason, they're sanctioned to jail for something that happens within the program. But they're being a human being. They're being a person and right. contributing. They're giving back. Mm -hmm. And non-native, native, we accept everyone. That's super cool. So do you know what kind of started all this? Like, I know this is one of the really... It's a really rare system. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any idea where the inspiration came from to start something like this in Alaska? You know, I don't necessarily know who specifically started it. I believe the Knights Indian tribe approached the state with the idea. Okay. But I couldn't tell you exactly, you know, who did that or how it all got started. But I believe the tribe approached the state and the state was willing to work with them on it and mm -hmm. came together. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's awesome. That's super cool. And there are other therapeutic courts in the state of Alaska. They're just not tribal, joint tribal and state. Right. But they're state-run therapeutic courts. Mm -hmm. Okay. I don't think I knew that either. Yeah, yeah. We have several in Anchorage. We have one specifically for veterans in Anchorage from the state of Alaska. There's Anchorage, Fairbanks, Bethel, I think Palmer. Yeah, they have them throughout the state. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's really and those cool. are just strictly state-run mm -hmm. courts. Right. But they have a team as well. They have a judge mm -hmm. and the PD and the DA and a project coordinator for those mm -hmm. courts as well. Okay. And a PO. They all work together and talk together as a team. Hmm. That's super uh -huh. cool. So, so it's a similar structure. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. So your team you're talking about, do you guys meet like and kind of talk about just different aspects of how things are going to move forward or like what what does it look like for you like as a team member so know? we meet every week because we have court every friday at 2 30 they're public mm -hmm. hearings at the tribal courthouse anybody can come 
But before court, our team meets and we discuss each participant in their week and how they're doing. We talk about applicants. We also have administrative meetings every month to talk mm -hmm. about our policies and procedures and how we're moving forward, like you were talking about. Right. That's super important, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's like for the infrastructure to really continue to evolve sure. as things evolve. And we and are continuing to evolve. Our, we're consistently reviewing our policies and procedures, mm -hmm. and we're constantly emailing throughout the week about any updates. Our PO is really great about Joe Green. He's really great about updating us if there's been any issues with a participant so mm -hmm. we can kind of be prepared to discuss it and be prepared to address it on that Friday's court. Right. That's huge. You got all, like Typically you think about just the way like government typically works. Mm -hmm. It's slow and like a big lack of like right now communication. You know yeah. what I mean? And it kind of really slows the process down for a lot of people in a lot of places and makes it pretty difficult to navigate. So the fact that like you guys meet however often to kind of make sure the infrastructure is moving forward to really give the participants the best options to succeed. You know what I mm -hmm. mean? Like in being up to date and talking to each other and like really creating a good like support system for yes. these for the people in your program is super important. <laughs> yeah. Sure. At least I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's definitely non traditional. Like uh, <laughs> normally you're waiting for twelve people in a separate room to figure out your fate, but this is people talking and figuring out how to change your life, make it better, mm -hmm. make it something that's uh, worth staying away from what got you there in the first place, yes. basically. So super incredible. Yeah, I and I mean, <laughs> I looked a little bit on on the website and stuff, but this has definitely been super eye opening for me. Hearing about all these different qualities and how uh, how much of a, a hands on approach to recovery it is, having all these people together to to help out as a team. Yes. As you were mentioning, uh, yeah, I had no idea this existed, so this has mm -hmm. been really cool. Yeah. yeah, well, I want to get the word out. Yeah, it's definitely. a really great resource for people who um, are charged with a felony, who have a history of substance use, non-native, native, as long as they haven't been charged with sex offense, dealing, mm -hmm. or assault, they would be a candidate. But even if they've been charged with that, if they have a felony DUI, they can still apply to our court as long as it, they can show that they've applied, even if they're denied. Right. Like I said, that's a path to a license. Mm -hmm. Now, if they have been accepted in the court, they need to participate in order to continue trying to get their license. But right. if they're denied, as long as they've applied, it'll make it a little easier. Right. Yeah, this really sounds like a second chance at life kind of thing. It really yeah. is, and some of our graduates can tell you that um, they really have a second chance because some of our graduates have been reunited with their kids. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I know it's it's brought families together. Mm -hmm. When you uh, help someone out, is there care for their family as well, or is that a separate thing? Like, are they involved at all? I mean, their family are certainly there to support them, and we certainly want them to have healthy connections with their family, as long as their family members are healthy, you know, if right. their if their family members are using and and not good influences, we don't necessarily want them to be hanging around them a lot. But yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we we definitely promote them getting their kids back mm -hmm. and being together as a family. However, our program and treatment comes first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that their focus really needs to be on themselves for the most part while they're in our program. And it makes them better for their family. Right. It's the old, it's the old empty cup. 
Yeah. Yeah, nobody drinks from an empty cup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things, too, that, like, for a lot of people, just in general, you know, especially for people that come from history, like, of parental substance misuse or even violent home situations or anything like that where it's like there's a level of mistrust at the very like the very foundation of being you know so i think that step one that phase one you know trust is a really it's a really interesting concept that like you would start there which Mm -hmm. it makes a lot of sense when you hear it but i think that's something that kind of goes overlooked sometimes is like when you develop at a very young age a simple mistrust for everybody else it makes life kind of rough and tumble after that, you know, it's kind of looking over your shoulder all the time and not really knowing, does this person really have my best interest? Am I really supported in this? It, it creates a lot of questioning. So I feel like when you start at step one and you go like right to that trust phase, how do people typically respond to that right away? Like when you're like, no, like really, you can trust us. Like we're really <laughs> going to try to help you out. Like do you get a little bit of pushback there? Of course. Yeah. Of course. I mean, it's not necessarily right away usually. Mm-hmm. I mean, usually if someone's had a relapse, they don't necessarily admit it until after they're shown the results mm-hmm. that are positive. And sometimes even then they have a hard time admitting that they use to the right. court um, because I guess our society and just their history in general showed them I'm going to be punished Mm -hmm. if this happens. And I think our court really understands that a lot of substance use is a person's way of coping with trauma Mm -hmm. and other things that have happened to them. It's not just because they really, really want to use. It's a coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. And our court understands that with substance use, people will sometimes relapse. And they don't condone it by any means, but mm-hmm. they understand it. And so we have tools in place that we use when that happens. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, in the first phase, sometimes there is a struggle with trust because they're not used to trusting authority figures and they're not used to trusting anyone outside of themselves. And we can really, uh, hopefully with weekly court sessions, we can prove to them that they can trust us. And then eventually when they start being honest, we can trust them. Right. You mentioned that sometimes people relapse and uh, you have a way of dealing with that. Like what constitutes finding out that the program isn't working for someone? What is the limit to that? We do have limits. According to our policies and procedures, when they've had six or more relapses, um, we can discharge them from the program. Mm -hmm. We haven't had to do that too often. Usually that does not happen, but it has Mm -hmm. happened in the past. Um, When they've just consistently not been honest for mm-hmm. a long period of time we sometimes will discharge them and that's not necessarily their fault or ours it's just they they just can't establish that right. trust mm-hmm. um, in the amount of time that we need them to right and that's yeah. kind of the basic first step like yeah. if you can't mm-hmm. trust someone you know where yeah. you go from there and we understand that the trust takes time to build mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so the first phase is 120 days right maybe they're just not ready you know, I mean, like, and not, like, just, like, to trust people, because that obviously takes a long time anyway. Mm-hmm. But, like, from the recovery stories we've heard, it's not always, like, the first six times. You know what I mean? Like, and not to say that those people are, like, oh, they couldn't make it through this, so now they're destitute. You know, like, there's still hope for those people. Just because it doesn't work out here doesn't mean it's not going to work out somewhere else. You know what I mean? Like, just takes a lot of that stuff is so ingrained you know what I mean for such a long time that like even something like you said it's not perfect like 
Mm-hmm. This is like this system's not perfect, and there are going to be some people out there that don't necessarily fit it that might need something else. You know what I mean? But I just want those people to know that when you are ready for help, there is something for you in this community. Like they, we're going to find a way. It may not necessarily be Henry Community Wellness Court. It may be an intensive inpatient. It might be going somewhere out of state. It might be a whole radical environment change. Is really what you need, but if you need a court system, a long-term support, accountability, care, trust, if those are the things you feel like you need and you qualify for this court system, I feel it would be very beneficial to talk to a lawyer or talk to the judge or whoever you need to talk to. Or if you're a lawyer and you're listening to this and you know somebody that might fit this bill, don't wait. It's huge, you know, this, the shift we're going through from punitive to rehabilitative is, I think, one of the biggest steps in really addressing the epidemic that we're in now, because it's a cycle. People we talk to now with uh, substance misuse disorders are, you know, people who get home everywhere, you know what I mean? It's like experimentation, it's cyclical, it's whatever, but once you start getting into the punitive system, like, it's a really difficult system to find your way out of. Yes, and we provide an option for that. I think part of the reason why our court works well is that a lot of people, when they get that felony charge, that's kind of their rock bottom. Yeah. And I think that we kind of give them an alternative. We Mm -hmm. kind of have a kind of carrot for them to say, hey, this is a better option for me. Mm -hmm. So that's why we take felony offenders and that's why we try to get them so close to when they're charged, because I think they have the mindset that at that point that they really want to change. Right. And that's what we're trying to target mm-hmm. with our court. Um, sometimes people haven't gotten to that place yet, but a lot of them have. And once they get in our court and see that people actually care about yeah. their recovery and they're there for them and they're working hard for them every week, it, it does make a difference, not to all, but to majority of the majority, people that we yeah. serve. Definitely. I just think it's really cool. I'm just like trying to take it all in right now. But I think this broad shift that is being made to therapeutic court and should be made to therapeutic court <laughs> is is awesome. You know, as we as individuals daily start to care for people, you know, it's it's the individuals that make the whole what it is, you know. As people like you and the judges and the POs and all these people really start to show people that need it most that they really do care like I think that says a lot for where we're at as as a community yes and we need more funding for therapeutic courts Mm -hmm. Um, joint jurisdiction courts yes and also just state courts whatever as long as they're therapeutic wellness courts I think for different types not just drugs but other other things there's family courts Mm -hmm. veterans courts different that we could do if we just had the funding for this kind of alternative court process. Right. Definitely. Definitely. And this seems to be a a huge move in the direction of um, instead of just uh, putting people out of society who are struggling to function in it, figuring out a way to reintegrate them into society. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of stopping that reoccurring problem of people who are in these difficult situations, feel like they have nowhere to go, like you pointed out earlier, Aaron, that uh, they now 
have a way to come back and and really function and, and make a life Thrive. that is worth having. Mm-hmm. Yes, the Henry Community Wellness Court's vision is transforming lives for a healthier community mm. because we're really trying to make our community healthier. We have a substance use problem that's been documented, and mm-hmm. we are trying to help person by person right. heal our community. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Shara. We're super excited to, to hear about this and help get the word out. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. This was you and I for the keynote.